You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. Well, I don't know if you've um, got any, any pet peeves. I'm not going to go through a list of mine, though the thing we're talking about today is a little bit of a pet peeve. You've got to be careful when you talk about pet peeves, because it's your pet peeve, so you're dialed up to 12, but the people you're talking to are at like a 2 or a 3, but if you talk like everybody's at a 12, there's just a huge disconnect here, and uh, one of the things that I look at this, I, I have something that has become a pet peeve of mine because I think it matters so greatly, um, something that we tend to get wrong. And it's also very difficult when this error is made, if you make it, if I make it, um, in that moment, it's very difficult to offer a correction. It's something that is better to sort of preemptively discuss. And so so today, you're going to get one of my pet peeves, but I am not dialed up to 12. I'm good. I'm calm. My hope is simply to step in and to help. And what we got to do is I, I really think words matter, and um, and this happens in a lot of different ways in our society today, that words matter, but when we say certain words or certain phrases, if I think it means one, you say, is that true or false, what he just said? Well, it depends on how you define what this word is that they just just said. So let me give you the example that we're going to look at today, and you heard it read. You hear these phrases today, you hear things like, don't judge me, it's not up to me to judge them. Only God can judge. He or she is, she is so judgmental, or, or who am I to judge? And you can see the common word in that is this idea of judge. I gotta do some setup, because what we just saw in this psalm is we see the picture of God being the rightful judge over all the earth. But we also have in our society today, this phrase has a very, very negative connotation. And it's, it's one of the words, I think, that one person says it and one person says it, and they can mean incredibly different things when they actually say this. And so we're going to have to go on a little bit of a journey here. I want to show you um, what this psalm says. We'll talk about interpersonal relationships as well. And then hopefully, by the end, I'm going to tie this together to show you why it's such a big deal that we understand biblically this idea of judge or, um, or judgment. Um, we're going to be in, uh, in Psalm 50. Um, there's been several psalms by the, uh, the sons of Korah in the second book of the Psalms, 42 to 49. We're in 50 right now, and then we're about to hit a string of them that, that are David, that are Davidic psalms that go 51 through, um, 51 through, I think, 72. There's a couple that may or may not be by David. But this one in the middle is a little unique, and it's by Asaph. Asaph has 12 psalms accredited to him. He's a, um, he's a Levite. He was appointed over the service of, uh, of, of praise and worship in the time of David and Solomon. We see that. You see it in First and Second Chronicles. Um, he, he would lead singing. It shows uh, at one time he sounded the, uh, the cymbals before the Ark of the Covenant as they were marching. And then some scholars, the way, the way something is phrased, they think that he actually set up like a, like a music school um, for specifically his sons and then their friends to be able to learn music and to learn how to worship God through song. We see that in the book of, of Nehemiah. And um, he is the author of this, and so this is probably set to some kind of music at some point. Um, and this is a picture, uh, well, the, the first six verses make up the first section of this psalm. It's an introduction where um, Yahweh appears to be the judge of his people. So you see God come on the scene, and he's showing up to be the judge of his people. So let me walk through this a little bit, and we'll, we'll, um, we'll help the rubber meet the road here in just a moment. So Psalm 50, a psalm of Asaph. It says, the mighty one, God the Lord, speaks, and notice what it says, summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. So 
He's going to talk in just a moment about his people, but notice what he's saying applies to the entire earth. It says, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Now listen to the judgment language of the God sitting on his throne. Our God comes, he does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire, around him a mighty tempest. You get get in the imagery? He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. And then it says, gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge. So what he just said is he is particularly hacked at his covenant people, Israel. He is not pleased with them. But it is not just that God is the judge over his people. It started by saying God is the ruler and the judge of the entire world. And his covenant people happen to be a part of it. But God's right to be able to judge his people is because he is also the sovereign judge of the world. And we hear that word judge. I showed you some phrases before, very common in our culture. And I've said that word judge can mean all sorts of different things. And so I want to look biblically for a moment what is meant and what is not meant by this word. Let me start with first just interpersonal, interpersonally. You hear frequently, don't judge me. I've been judged before. I went to a church and I felt very judged. Whenever somebody says to me that a church or a Christian or a pastor or a priest or somebody judged me, I always ask for clarity because I'm not really sure exactly what they might mean. Um, I know this is not a hypothetical For people that are here, that are online, that'll be here at our our later service as well, there are people that would say, I went to a church and the place where I thought they were going to show me the love of Christ and throw their arms wide open, all I felt was judgment. There's some people that have been uh, hurt, some that I've talked to, some here, and then we were just at a, 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 um, Nikki and I do a family camp every year, and, and this came up with some of the people there. Um, one in particular said, it was like the people that, um, I went to this church and it was like they took glee in finding my sin and my faults. That was their, that was their, um, their read. They got seen then just through that negative lens by God's people. They talked down to me, they wounded me. And let me first just say this, and I've said this several times, but I, I know this is prevalent. Um, if it really is a case where someone has, has hurt wounded, um, given condemnation where there should have been love, if that's correct, um, I'm really, really sorry. There's nothing Christian about that. And I'll show you that in just a moment as well. So maybe something you knew instinctively, I'm gonna show you, you, the Bible actually is gonna back that up. I'll show you that here in just a moment. Um, What I would always remind you of whenever I bring this up is I know this might be difficult, but if you can see past the sin of that one person who was supposed to represent Christ, if they didn't do it well, to see Christ himself and what he has done for you. Um, Now, I'm also going to say, in my experience, this phrase, don't judge me, and I had a little focus group, not to brag, I asked three whole people about this, and they agreed with me. When I hear a lot of times, I do hear the hurt on this don't judge me because I've been judged and it's hurt and there's pain and there's wounded. Um, however, at the same time, I've also heard this. I've also people use, I've heard people use the phrase don't judge me as a way of saying I'm busted. Like I thought I was going to get away with this thing that I was doing and now you actually called me out on it. 
And I'm going, I have found a way to, to throw some words around to now make it seem like you're actually the bad guy in this interaction. See what happened? Don't judge me. I, I, I actually, I've seen that quite a bit. Don't judge me has become sort of a shield that we put up to almost just make it seem like I don't have a problem, you have a problem. And so I just want to give a word of caution that if, you're, if you've ever hidden behind this idea of don't, you know, don't judge me, people, no one should judge me, um, uh, God will, and we'll see that in just a moment. And so we, we got to talk about getting right with the Lord. And maybe it's that someone's coming along to try and help, but boy, we can put up a quick shield. Don't judge me. You're actually the bad one in this case. Sometimes it's just used to deflect because it's like, oh man, somebody actually just called me out on something, and they're right, and I'm wrong, and I can't take it, so I'm going to flip this. That, that actually is how I've seen it used quite a bit. And so I think, I think to say all of this, I think one of the ways to remedy this is to use different words besides this idea of just judgment, I was judged, don't judge me, to, to may, maybe try and substitute a different word, and I'll show you one in just a moment, but it might mean that like when somebody says, you know, I've felt judged, I always ask, like, what do you mean by that? And then you get to, I felt wounded by something. I felt like excommunicated from people that I thought were supposed to love me. And the other thing is this, I've also had people say, I felt very judged, and then they tell me their side of their story, and really what happened was, maybe the church just stood for truth, and there's a part of me going, I'm sorry that hurts, but kind of good for the church if they stood for what was right. Maybe they didn't do it in the right way, and that's a problem. That's where the discussion can happen. But you see how you take this word judge and it just becomes kind of a junk drawer term that we can sort of hide behind or fling at people. And the reality is a good way to, a good way to remedy this problem is to just go, let me, let me think deeper and think of a different word to use. Hurt, wounded, told me I was in sin, whatever it might be. I want to show you um, Matthew chapter 7 for just a moment this morning. Matthew chapter 7 because this is the text that a lot of people immediately go to when this topic comes up. Matthew chapter 7, I'll read it to you. It says, judge not that you be not judged. Great. If that's all it said, piece of cake. Okay? But we're going to try and figure out what does Jesus actually, this is Jesus speaking, what does he actually mean when he tells his followers, judge not that you not be judged. And here's what he says. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, some think this is actually talking about Jesus is saying, if you, if you do whatever this bad judgment thing here is, that God is going to judge you. But this is really in the context of interpersonal. So there's at least a primary application that says, if I go to somebody and I start saying stuff about them that's bad and that comes across as judgmental, what's our first reaction? Oh, Mr. Perfection is here to tell me everything wrong with my life. Right? Immediately, there's going to be a... Wow, Jim, I, I, I could also say some things about you. And now the, their person's, that person's mind is now centered on the things about the things that they want to say about me, and I'm just talking about them, and, that, and this interaction just goes horribly. Look at what happens. Um, it says, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? This is a great way to think of it. There's some wood in people's eyes is what he's talking about here. And so clearly what he has just done is he is using this idea of the speck in your brother's eye, and he's using that because he says, don't judge. And then he says, why would you judge? So when he says a speck in your brother's eye, somehow that is tied to the definition of what it means to judge. Okay, So you can kind of get the image of what he's saying. To judge in this context is saying there's something in my brother's eye that I need to tell him about. 
Look at what it says. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye but not notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? This is brilliant teaching, by the way. This calls us to humility. This is if I find, like, like what happens when there's a fault in somebody else? Like just think interpersonally, best friend, spouse, something like that. What happens? You know, I'm pretty much in the right and you're way in the wrong. And what's the other person thinking? Well, I'm pretty much in the right and you're way in the wrong. And then you put those two people together and they're both looking at everybody else and going, you got a big old log in your eye and yeah, I have a little speck, no big deal. And then the other person is going, well, you've got the big log and I've got a little bitty speck. And then we go, gee, I wonder why there's, we have a hard time with conflict resolution. And what he says here is he says, if there is something where you are going to go and remove the speck from your brother's or your sister's eye, he says, first, remember your own sin. Because you know it better than anybody. This is a, a posture of humility. That's why I said if you got burned by someone at the church who came with the posture of arrogance, they blew it. In fact, look at what he, what he keeps saying here. He says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. First take the log out of your own eye. Remember your own sin. Remember your own faults. But then notice what it says. He says, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. All right. So he starts out and says, judge not or you'll be judged also. And then he ties judgment to saying, I see something in someone else that I want to help him remove from his life. And then it says, here's what you do first. And then you can help him remove the speck. I don't like the word judge or judgment because I told you it's all over the map about what it means. When you look at this, um, you know, we tend to think don't judge people, meaning we should be totally ignorant of being able to evaluate if there's any right or wrong or good or bad. That's almost what it, the definition is now. Don't judge. Who, who are you to say there's no good, there's no right, there's no wrong? I'll show you in just a second. And what he just said is this. He said, when you go, in this thing, in this whole section on judgment, humility, you remember your own sin. You have that person's error in perspective. And you go to them, it says, to help them remove the speck from their eye. That's how Christians do that with each other. That's how Christians should do that with each other. Do you see the tenderness in this? There's a difference between me going, you know, descending from on high and going, you are in the wrong. My motive is I want you to feel bad. I want you to, I want you to, you know, get in line versus I love you and I care about you. And I'm willing to take a risk to step into your life and I want to help take you off this path. And I want to put you on a path that leads to life. Do you see the tenderness in this? That's what we're supposed to do. That's how we're supposed to be. There's such a, um, a, a beauty in this. This is why we need clarity. Someone talks about judgment and it's because there's condescension, because someone is smug, because they're high and mighty, they're rude, they're unkind. You're right to call that out. That's not what's supposed to happen. But neither is the person who just turns a blind eye to what's going on in other people's lives. That's not loving and gracious as well. The loving, gracious thing to do is to take a risk, to step in their life and say, I love you, I am for you, I am well aware of my own sin, I am not coming in as someone who's better than you, to condescend to you. I am coming in to say, let me help set you on the path 
of life. Um, I would say from some people have no problem correcting others. You may know people like that. You may be people like that. I don't know. Um, let, me, uh, let me just um, offer to think, why am I actually doing this? Am I doing it from a place of humility? Am I doing it from a place of, I'm right and they're wrong and I want them to know it? Is it coming from a place of self-righteousness or is it from a place of love and graciousness and tenderness? You know, I think about, um, sometimes as a parent, I think, do I correct my children because it's good for them and loving for them, and I'm loving towards them, or is it because I want you guys to think I'm a great parent, and so I need my kids to behave? Terrible motive. Because I love them and I want them on the path of life, that is a beautiful way to reach in to take specks from their eye in the greatest of humility as they pursue Christ. Um, you know, I, I think of it like this. One of the other ways that this idea of judgment has gotten um, really off is, like, like, picture this. We were just driving back from our camp, and it was one of those roads in Colorado that's it's just, you know, like for 20 minutes, you just see like cows 300 yards away, and that's it. And you see hardly anybody else. And for some reason, it's 65 on that road. I don't know why. In Utah, it'd be like 85 or something. But in Colorado, it's 65. And I have kids in the car, so I'm like, I'm going 65. And people are passing me going 90, you know. Like I saw about five people, and they all go, wow. They're kind of looking at me, and I want to be like, you're right. This is ridiculous that it's 65. But I go 65. I'm a father. I've got my kids. So I'm going the the the, the speed limit. We were on one of those roads, and I had this image as we were, as we were driving the other day. This next part didn't happen, but we're, as we're driving the other day, if I looked and I finally went, it's 65, are you kidding me? I'm just going to floor it, and I'm going to go 90. Now, my wife could do something like this. Hey, Jim, uh, you're, you're a big boy. You could do what you want, but you should know uh, that looks like a police officer up there uh, over the next ridge, or over the, on, on top of that little hill. What did she just do? She didn't just judge me. She just told me about someone that was going to judge me. (laughs) Okay? The source of truth is not me. I am not here to judge. That helps so much when I'm talking with somebody. We're talking about tough things like marriages, and there's some work that needs to be done, for example, or just friendships or business, whatever it is. We're talking about work that has to be done. Is It's so freeing to just go, this really isn't up to me, and ultimately it's between you and the Lord. But I am willing to step in and tell you, I think if we look at what God says, this is right, this is wrong, this would be the way that he would guide you. That's a joy to do it. All right. So God is judge, and then we just spent this time talking about interpersonal tenderness and, and why, why the idea of judge, if done like this, we can go, oh, if that's what you mean by judge, that's a beautiful thing to step into someone's life. That, that's a great thing to do. And you're like, let's tie these together, all right? Really, really important. So, so hang with me here. Kind of three steps I want to show you. The first step is to make this idea of judge or judgment just a bad word. It's always bad. It's not a biblical definition. It's just always bad. This is societally, let's just say it's a bad thing. And then the next step is this, because if it's an inherent bad word, then God can't be associated with the word. Do, do you see how that works? If our society tricks us into saying this is bad, then even God can't do it. Even God is not allowed to judge all of a sudden, because that makes him bad. Okay? And then what's the third thing from that? If we don't stand before a judge someday... I have no need of salvation. You see why it matters? 
If we change this definition and then it becomes so bad, we have pastors, we have Christians just in conversations that go, I don't want to associate God with this word because everybody else thinks it's a bad word. And then all of a sudden what happens is we have a generation of people that pastors have just stood up here and just sort of cowered and not talked about this that ultimately we answer to God someday. And so we have no need of salvation in this system. See why it matters? See the shift that has happened? I don't have any bad news, so why do I need any good news? Why do I need the gospel? And I think it's, um, we've got to get back to giving a glorious picture of God as the rightful judge. Now, it might sound strange to say the glorious picture of God as judge. Let me just give you, there's basically three or four options about what kind of judge there would be in the world. Number one, you'd have no judge, which is we're kind of trying that right now. Every man for himself, all your truth just comes from you. Whatever you decide is right is right. Whatever you decide is wrong is wrong. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, different, whatever this generation says, well, now the new mob in this generation says this, so now this becomes right. This is why um, helicopter parenting, I think that's a common term, helicopter parenting, like kid gets in trouble and a parent like, hub, like swoops in to fix everything. Like say a girl in class like mouths off and the, um, is supposed to get in big trouble. The mom just swoops in and, and just goes, no, 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 not my daughter. My daughter would never do anything wrong, you know? And so all of a sudden, all the kids just saw the girl do this, but the mom swooped in and fixed it. There's no accountability. The teacher just backs off of everything and everybody just sees there is no law anymore. This teacher is no longer able to enforce order in the classroom. We're seeing some of that in the culture. If you do basic history research, you can see this in societies as well. Hey, whatever you want to do, anything. That's saying there's no judge, there's no standard, there's no authority. That's option one, it's chaos. And it always leads to option two, which is to say then we should empower imperfect judges. This is where um, citizens start to overly rely on, on government, on the court system, on sometimes military to say you ought to enforce these things. Because this first way isn't working, so now we're just going to rely on imperfect judges. If someone is an imperfect judge and they give out imperfect justice, that means there's plenty of times that there's no justice at all. Well, that system doesn't work. The third option is better, but not great yet. The third option is to have a perfect judge with perfect justice. But there's still a problem with that. The problem is probably me, because I look and I read that passage that we just read in Matthew 7, and I know that if I stand before a perfect, righteous judge someday, I know myself and I don't just have a log in my eye. I have the National Forest Service <laughs> entirely. I have the mere woods coming out of these eyes. And if we just have a perfect judge, and that's all he is, we're in trouble. No judges, chaos, imperfect judges are, um, give imperfect justice. A perfect judge means that I stand before him and I can't. I'm dead still in my sin. So what's the answer? I want to show you this very briefly. I, I, I spent about three weeks ago, I, I, I went and I, I read through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, looking for one thing. I looked for the number of times that the Bible declares God to be judge. And I stopped counting. I got to about a zillion, and so I just stopped counting, because it says it over and over and over and over, okay? And every time I saw something that said God is judge, I looked in the immediate context to see, is there also a mention of the grace of God in the same context? 
Because this is our fourth option, not just a perfect judge, but a perfect, gracious judge. What percent of the time do you think that it said God is judge, and in the context right before, right after, or most often in the same sentence, it said that God is also gracious? Feel free to go fact check me on this. It'll get you reading your Bibles. It's good for you. I found 100% of the time when it talks about God is judge, it also talks about the grace of God. What happens next in this psalm is God gives this accusing speech to, to the people. Um, they're, they're going through this empty formalism. Um, they're trying to fake out God with sacrifices. There's no repentance, no heart change. He calls them out. He's mocking their, uh, for mocking him, excuse me, with their empty acts of worship. They, they appear to have bought, listen, listen how bad this is. They appear to have bought, bought some false doctrine that he has to correct that says the reason he wants animal sacrifice is because he's hungry and needs to eat meaning that he is dependent on mankind to feed him. And he says, no, Israelites, that's what you've been doing and you are wrong. He condemns the wicked. He calls them out specifically, the seventh, eighth, and ninth commandments they're breaking. Um, they are reveling in doing things that God absolutely despises. He shows them the depths of their sin. He says, this was the standard. This was our covenant that you said you would keep and you're not keeping it. He shows them how rotten they have become because they are straying from it. And how does the psalm end after all of that? The last verse. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. The one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Everything ends with this grace of God. Any earthly standard that we make ultimate will ultimately fail. It is good that there is a good judge, that he is righteous and that he is gracious. Our job is that we should know well our own planks. But we should, by God's grace, get those removed. We should graciously be helping others down the path of life and be grateful for this perfect, gracious judge that we have. Mm -hmm.